Welcome back to Geek Life, the indie comics podcast on Pandamanga.com. I'm your host, JP. As always with me, are my fearless co-hosts, Joe. Mornings, my arch nemesis. <laughs> and Marcus. I always shoot first, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> Do with that what you will. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, wow. Um, can't, I can't get uh, myself together after that one. <laughs> Just embrace yeah, Let me fan you down. <laughs> All right. Deep breaths. With us today, we have a very special guest, our friend Melissa Pagluisa. Hi. So, Melissa, if you guys haven't been listening, was who we talked about last episode and gushed copious amounts. And I understand we made you turn red yes. when you were listening. Yes. So that's nice. <laughs> it's all true and we meant every word. Okay, so today we're actually not going to be talking about a comic. We're going to be talking a little bit about some advice for uh, indie creators and exhibitors at conventions and events. The subject today is... Beyond the Table, Good Practices for Your Exhibitor Table and Beyond. <laughs> We're going to be talking about how you can improve your exhibitor table strategy for your next convention or event. And this can be a tricky and complex subject because it's got a lot more to do with just making good product or setting out your table or talking to people. It has all those things involved, right? So it's not just a small thing. It's not just one piece. You can't, you can't focus on one aspect. You have to be able to sell yourself. You have to be able to set up a nice layout on your table. You have to be able to be willing to stand up and say, hey, you, come check this out. And it, it's tricky. And also walk that fine line of not being kind of an obnoxious, hey, you, come over here, man. Yeah. <laughs> not quite a carnival barker, but not alone in the corner. Yeah, it's, it's tricky because no friend. when we were talking about Ape recently with John Harder of Waterfront Comics, he was saying that he doesn't like going to the artist's alley because he feels like it's a bunch of people with puppy dog eyes. <laughs> and he's always like, oh, I just don't like going in there because I feel bad for them, but I don't really want to buy anything. <laughs> it's like, and so, you know, you have to balance all that. So it's a, it's a complex subject. And so we thought it'd be fun to talk about. So what I, what I did was I asked everybody to come up with a couple ideas. Now, two of the people in this room have actually had tables. <laughs> the other two are going to have tables soon. But I also started something new and exciting. I'm calling it the Geek Life Brain Trust. And so I've created a mailing list with a lot of our favorite comic creators that we've reviewed and talked to and met at conventions and otherwise, and am sending them out questions in regards to our comic-centric episodes and hopefully getting some cool emails back. And I got a couple emails this time. It was a little bit last minute, but I'm looking forward to being able to utilize that awesome resource in the near future. I have uh, a couple emails, and I'll, I'll read some samples from each. And uh, yeah, so very excited about sharing some of their thoughts as well. So why don't we just go around in a circle? So Marcus, what's your first recommendation, suggestion for someone who is setting up an exhibitor table? Like you said, you know, it's definitely a fine line between being a carnival barker and being someone who's just in the corner and cries. Um, <laughs> and my, my key has always been I wait for eye contact. As soon as I, they, they look at me, then I start my pitch. That way I don't feel like I'm, you know hounding them and mm. at the same time they've given me at least the interest to, that they turned their head <laughs> which is enough for me to just give them my little yeah. spiel well and you're always offering tasty treats marshmallows i bait my table big time <laughs> oh, yeah. anything to get them to actually stop i mean because eye contact will work for me but if they stop at my table then i'm definitely going to pitch them there's no way that i'm not going to give them my pitch if they're right in front of me looking eating my food you know you got to get them with the shiny objects exactly exactly so what i'm hearing is is that you don't like to try and just shout out into the crowd but you want to wait until somebody looks at you or looks at your table and engages you so that you wait for them to make that first step unless i have bad sales cough cough ape 
<laughs> yeah, we've heard that uh, a lot of people had trouble at Ape this year. I kind of made goals for myself while I was there because uh, by the second day, my sales were so bad that I told myself within the next 10 minutes, I need to make one sale. And that's when I really started, you know, the Carnival Barker thing. And I don't really like doing it, but sometimes when you pay $300 for a table, you got to do what you got to do. So much. So much. Melissa's been at a lot more tables than anybody here. And what would you say is kind of normal for a convention? I mean, obviously, Ape's sort of one of the big ones, but... What do you mean as far as normal? A normal as in what would you typically pay to get a table? Like we're oh. talking like a full table. If you're at a local convention, then you're probably looking at anywhere from like $25, $50. So typically under 100 Yeah, usually under 100 for a local convention. Mm-hmm. And then when you're going to the bigger ones, expect to pay around $300. Really? They're all like that? The reason why it's so high is that they're giving you foot traffic, mm-hmm. which should be the, the trade-off, sure. is if you're paying that amount, when you're scoping out conventions that you want to go to, you have to think about, is there going to be you know the foot traffic coming across your table? And uh, is it going to be the crowd that I want right. seeing my work? It also seems like when they set a higher barrier to entry financially like that, that it's rather crude, but it's a good way to weed people out that aren't really serious. Especially with something like Ape, which is sort of widely considered like the indie comics convention. I mean, it's put on by Comic-Con International, people who do Comic-Con, WonderCon. So they're like the big guys in the in the comics convention world. And that's their indie offering. And so it always feels like, to me, if someone is going to set a high barrier of entry, financially especially, they're saying, this needs to be serious business for you. This is not you coming out and hawking your doodles. This is something that you're serious about. You've you know, got a table set out that you probably have some experience because when someone comes to a convention like that, they're expecting people to be operating at a higher level, more experience, all that kind of stuff. It's not that it's a bad idea or that there's anything wrong with someone who's just starting out to put themselves out there like that. But I do think that at those big conventions, people are expecting the attendees are expecting, you know, someone who's got more experience. So maybe that's not the best place. Three hundred dollars a pop to get your experience. Part of my notes came prepared was um, even before you get a table, the prep work you put into, you know, wanting to set up your table and getting everything ready for it is doing the research as to the conventions you want to attend to. And there's a lot of resources out there that you can just Google. It's all right there. It's really easy. That will give you a list of conventions that are happening every month and they'll give you a link to all their websites. And I know when I first started out, I at least for me, that's because where I was doing local conventions was really a great way to start out because one, the table fee is lower and it's a good way just to get your feet wet a mm-hmm. bit and just to experience it and see. Because, you know, when you first start out, you have to figure out what works for me, what doesn't work out. Right. You know, how do I set up my table? What do, what are other people doing? Taking a look at how people set up their tables and talking to them and like just learning different ways to Uh, set up your tables so local conventions absolutely all right well we we just kind of gave a good example there but do you have another one you wanted to throw in before we get over to joe what i was always taught because i come from a family that they're just really good at selling stuff (laughs) (laughs) a bunch of salesmen (laughs) no they don't come off as salesmen that's the great thing is they're just so personable and so charismatic and what i learned is that maybe your goal isn't to just expect people to buy your things it should be to have a really good conversation and to make a connection with the people Mm. come to your table and i feel people really respond to that low-key 
make them feel good while you're at your table and, and talking about things that you both like. And if they happen to want to buy some of your stuff, then, hey, that's really cool. But I think people really respond to not having that expectation of buy my things. Like your friend was saying, like he feels bad walking through because people are throwing off these, what would you call it? Like vibes? Of yeah, sort of needy vibes. Yeah, needy vibes. Right. <laughs> it always reminds me, uh, have you ever been to Las Vegas? Yes. So you know how they have those guys that have the, the paper wad, wadded up and they're trying to like hand out the escort service stuff? And I don't know if they do it to women, but they definitely do it to guys where they, they hit it against their hand like that. And then they shove it in your face, like inches from your nose. And it's just so incredibly rude. And it's just so off-putting that I don't care who they are or what they're selling. I don't want anything to do with it because their first interaction with me is so incredibly intrusive. Exactly. And I think people, when you come off as intrusive, then their body language and, you know, they'll respond in kind and want to just leave. They want to, you know, Mm -hmm. find an exit strategy. Definitely. So then be more personable. Try and create a connection with them and throw out the window the immediate sense of urgency of I want to make a sale, I want to make a sale, but more I want to make a connection, I want to make a connection. Is and that I what think, I'm hearing? Yeah, I think it also comes back to finding reasons why are you doing conventions to begin with? Mm-hmm. Are you there just to make a profit or are you there to say, hey, I exist, here's my stuff and I hope you like it and, you know, just connecting. Right. So you. That's so it goal. sounds like you're suggesting that if you if you're interested in only making profit, then you're going to come up against some struggles because that's not really the right attitude. Well, I mean, I feel like there's no wrong way sure. to do conventions and everyone finds stuff that works for them. But I think people can tell when they're just trying to make a buck off. Sure, them. sure, sure. Mm. Yeah, it feels disingenuous. Definitely. Yeah. Joe. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Marcus. I was going to say that that's kind of brilliant advice in terms of making comics in general and finding your motivations, because if you're in it to try to make a career at it or whether you're in it as a hobby, determining why you're doing what you're doing is going to help you a lot in terms of the speed in which you produce and knowing what you want to do in terms of going to conventions, which conventions you want to go to, and how hard you're going to push your stuff while you're there. Right. Definitely. Joe, your suggestion. Well, Melissa made a good point about watching what the other exhibitors do with their tables. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing I've noticed that about the tables I visit are vertical displays, something that points up and shows people from a distance away what you're doing and... So they don't have to get right in front of your table and then look down to see yeah, what you have. Yeah, because you have to invest a lot into meeting somebody to get you know within a foot of them, look down at their, their table, and then if that's not anything you're interested in, now you have to figure out, okay, how do I back out of this without looking like I'm running away from You're right, person? you're right, because I find that when I'm perusing the tables to try and find someone to talk to, interview, and check out their comic... I'm more likely to walk down the middle and glance left and right and mm-hmm. not really make that walk up to the table commitment. Because when you make that walk up to the table commitment, you're essentially saying with your body language and your distance or your proximity that I'm interested in what you're doing enough to come over, stop what I'm doing because I'm strolling along. So mm-hmm. stop my stroll, come over and then have a conversation. Yeah. It's one of the main reasons I found Melissa's table in the first place. She had the nice tall displays. Definitely. Could see everything she had. Yeah, it's very. I mean, it's it's good. You can see it from a distance when someone has vertical displays like that. It always stands out. That comes from doing a lot of anime conventions. Really, and um, I notice at anime conventions it tends to be a, a younger crowd, and so a lot of them I feel are afraid to approach mm. tables, and so they'll do this thing where they their body language is like I'm enclosed and I'm just walking through, and they'll exactly like you were saying, they'll just like look left and right, and having 
easily accessible artwork just up high allows them to just quickly glance, take a look. And if they like it, then you can start luring them. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Height. Get the height. Yeah. You know, I see people put their banners like on the edge of their table, hanging off the edge, which is all well and good. But it's nice to see something above someone. You know, when mm-hmm. somebody has, especially the big, lovely banners they have these days with, you know, a nice cross-section of their a bit of their comics or maybe like a, a piece of one of their works, you can see and it's bright and it's colorful and, you know, it really gives you from a, from an even further distance than actually seeing the real prints, like an idea, because oh, yeah. it's off the time larger, bigger than life, you know, and so it's nice to see that from a distance, so. Yeah, hell, even having some of your books propped up on the table so you don't have to you know, literally stand on top of somebody to look at it. Right, true, true. Because anything that's vertical, it really helps. So increased visibility sounds to be like a theme. Yeah. Everything you can do to have increased visibility. Don't have it be hard to get, to, to be able to get a glimpse of what's going on yeah. and what you have to offer. Yeah, you're paying for that two-dimensional space on the floor. You can use all that third dimension you want. Mm-hmm. You can mm-hmm. hang stuff from the ceiling. The first point that I wanted to make is a tie-in to a lecture that I've given out at the Art Institute a couple times over in Sacramento. And it's a really good concept when you're doing any kind of networking at all. And it's based on the idea that the deepest human compulsion, the deepest human need is the need to feel important. Now, that that's not like I'm an important business person or I'm an important political figure. What I mean is that for you to feel like what you do matters to someone. And so people are more willing to reciprocate the well, what you do matters to me after you've shown to them what they do and who they are matters. And so tying into Melissa's earlier comment of don't be so much worried about trying to throw your pitch out and get a sale, but actually engage someone in conversation and have that sort of real, honest human interaction instead of just the salesman one direction throwing information at them. It's a beautiful segue into what I, what I wanted to say, which is basically you know, try and find common ground, throw, you know, find a, so find something you're both interested in, ask them how they're doing, engage them and show interest in who they are and what they're up to and what their interests are. That's a, such a huge piece of networking in general. Obviously, it's it's maybe a little more applicable when you're talking about social interaction on like the social media sort of side of things when you can come out and say, hey, I like your thing. I'm going to retweet it and talk to you about it. Then all of a sudden people start feeling warm and fuzzy about you and more likely to be retweeting your kind of things. And, you know, that's sort of a mechanic in there. But it's one of the many expressions of the idea that people feel the need to feel important and validated. And so any way that you can use that knowledge to engage someone and show genuine interest, then I think that you'll have a leg up on things. And it sounds almost disingenuous, like make them feel like you care about them and then they'll care about you. The problem is, is that people can sniff out a disingenuine conversation really easily. And so if you actually have to be interested. So even though your strategy may be to engage someone and show interest in who they are and what they're about and what their interests are, if you actually don't care, people are going to know. It's like all going to fall apart. So you actually have to be genuine. Something as simple as smiling genuinely, you know? And so even though it may, be, it may come across the idea of, of bridging that gap and showing interest in them to draw them into having interest in what you are up to and who you are and what you do, it may sound kind of odd and manipulative, but the reality is, is that if you don't show genuine interest, that's the caveat there. If you show genuine interest in who they are and what they're up to, much more likely for them to show genuine interest back. And that's just the social Absolutely. in general is... People want to say, why should I be invested in you if you're not invested in me? It's a mutual 
connection that should be happening, not just a one way. Totally. The best way to be considered a good conversationalist is to talk about what people, the person that you're talking to is interested in. So for example, say I didn't know who Joe was. I haven't really met him, but I knew that I was going to, you know, visit with him at a party or something like that. And I specifically wanted to get to know him and create a positive relationship with him. I would ask, what's Joe interested in? What's he up to? What is he like? And then I would, if I'm not familiar with it, research it enough to be dangerous and ask, have some genuine questions and curiosity about it prepared. And if you go into a conversation with someone like that, all of a sudden they're like, oh, wow, we're talking about something that I care about. Obviously, you're interested in my opinion. It's just such a positive, warm, fuzzy feelings. And Wait people are so much. Wait a second. <laughs> Is oh, man, that I've known why you we since... had so much in common? <laughs> no. <laughs> that, not doesn't at all. actually like comics. <gasps> See, that's what I'm saying is that, is that you know, when I share. using me. God. It's funny because it's so easy to go that direction of like, wait a second, you're being manipulative. <laughs> if you want to with... be a negative Nancy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but th that's the thing. Though, Otherwise, you... you're just trying to make an actual connection with someone Thanks. you would find interesting. Exactly. And so, I mean, there's nothing wrong with having strategy to try and be more effective at doing something that you want to do anyway. Yeah. I mean, you do. You want to make real connections with people. That's that's a good thing. And so just because you learn a little bit about the mechanics of it and how to streamline it and how to more effectively do that. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing nefarious about that. Yeah. Anyone who's ever had an awkward conversation with somebody <laughs> first meeting knows the value of having at least a little bit to talk about. Right? Absolutely. It, Just to get the ball rolling. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Well, why don't we go ahead and take a quick musical break. When we get back, we'll continue on our conversation about behind the table, good practices for exhibitor tables at events and conventions. You're listening to Geek Life. Stick with us. Behind the table. <laughs> so why don't we go ahead and read one of the emails? So a couple of episodes ago, we talked about the Boston Metaphysical Society. And Boston Metaphysical Society is a great sort of steampunk, Victorian-era Ghostbusters comic. It's really cool. And we were helping Madeline, who created the comic and wrote the comic, uh, helping her trying to get her Kickstarter out there and... And really enjoyed talking about her comic and ran into her, I want to say, Big Wow a while ago. So that was a bunch I of fun. So. Anyway, so she's part of the Brain Trust. <laughs> so she sent in a, a great little list. So I'll just go ahead and go right down it. She suggests to have something free to give away at your table, like a postcard. And I actually yeah. heard that a lot. Either free or very inexpensive. Mm -hmm. The idea of having something that's a dollar at the table or something that is or or is free so that you know, if someone really likes your work, but 
they've kind of blown their money wad over there on some big expensive thing, they can still be like, oh, a button. Awesome. <laughs> you know? At the very least a business card or yeah. something. Yeah, definitely. Find you. Uh, next up, she says, have a good pitch for your story. And this goes into what we were talking about, about trying to get your comic on the shelves of local shops. That elevator pitch. That elevator, exactly. You want to have an elevator pitch. And, and the elevator pitch, the idea there is, of course, if you were stuck in an elevator going just a couple floors up with someone, could you communicate to them the idea of what your comic is about in that amount of time and have them come away with a decent understanding enough to be able to go, oh, that sounds like something I'd like, or mm, that's not really for me, you know, to really be able to communicate what you're about short. So have a good story, a good pitch, a good elevator pitch. And then she also says, stand up and engage people. Now, what's funny is there's a, there's a little subtext here where she says, unless you're really tall, <laughs> because she <laughs> said that, that her husband is really tall. And when they were having a booth together, when he was standing up and greeting with people, she could see that he was sort of looming over people, even though he was being warm and welcoming and friendly. Just his sheer like height. People were kind of like, uh. <laughs> that's sort of interesting because you never think about that. You think like, stand up, get engaged. Don't just sit behind there and wait for someone to come to you. But it is kind of funny that if you're a giant Maybe not. <laughs> it's sort of interesting. It's tough being a big guy. It's not easy. Whacking your head on door frames all the time. And I, scaring all the little folk. I do not have that problem. <laughs> how, like, how tall are you, Joe? 6'2". Jeez. Okay, let's see. She also suggests don't charge tax. They've already paid to get in. <laughs> I think that's a really good idea. I don't know about you guys, but no matter how old I get and how long I've been on this earth, I still am kind of like, oh, I have to pay tax. You know, like something comes out and it's just like, can't you include it in the price that's listed? Like, I'm so tired of going somewhere and it's like, it's $4.99, but not really. It's like, can't we just pay $5 and be done with it? I'm a little shocked right now that people charge tax at cons. I guess that's, well, but you know, I think that Obviously, this is recommendations and when someone's trying to put together a campaign of some kind. And so who knows? I mean, we go through our lives and we pay for something and there's taxes tacked on and you kind of expect it. That seems so weird Not to me. Not only that, and it can be a little bit hard when, like, before you go to a convention, you have to make sure you have number fives and ones and tens. Right. And yeah, if you start charging cash. tax... Then yeah, you have to worry change. about sense and all this uh, stuff. So to me, it's not really worth it. But the only time it is, is if you're using the square, where you can take cards at your oh, table. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you can get away with like a 50 cent, 75 cent charge for having to use that service. And most people are like, yeah, whatever, because it's like a convenient fee. Sure, sure, sure. Or, Next, she suggests to, oh, this is great. This is actually coming back to what we were just talking about before the break. Remember, you're not just selling your comic, you're selling yourself. That's a really good point. And then finally, take the time to see how people set up their tables. She learned a lot from doing that. So that's, again, yeah. reiterating Joe's point. So there's some, some good reinforcement to some of the suggestions we had earlier. Uh, thanks again so much for emailing us in and sharing your experience with us, Madeline. Uh, again, we really liked reading your comic. And if those listeners haven't listened to that episode or checked out her comic, uh, it's, I guess it's a couple episodes back. I want to say two or three episodes back. Yeah, I think so. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. You can read her comic at bostonmetaphysicalsociety.com. Follow Madeline on Twitter at mhollyrosing. And like her Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Boston Metaphysical Comic. I want to go back around and see if we can draw some more ideas out of us. So... Marcus, was there another one that you had? Oh, you guys took a lot of the good ones already, but I mean, when it comes <laughs> to conventions, there's there's just buckets and boatloads, and you can write books about proper etiquette oh, at, sure. at cons. Mm -hmm. So um, I would say another one is um, 
to give them a reason to buy your book at the convention because a lot of times people will sell their books online and stuff like that um but with my book for example my whole spiel is that if you buy issue one i draw a sketch for you inside and i say oh right because you have a, a spot for that exactly and i mean it feels and like you it, draw anything <laughs> evidently you i will draw you <laughs> anything in those books i'm a gun for hire and so I mean, it, it, it feels more special, like they made that connection with the creator of the book, that they have something that they couldn't just get online. Mm -hmm. yeah. Definitely. I, one of the things that I always enjoyed, and I've only seen it a couple times, but people do like these vellum sketches. And there's just something about that sort of transparent quality that, you know, I mean, and I would imagine that they probably make a couple originals and then probably kind of trace them or something because they're transparent anyway. So production-wise, yeah, you're actually drawing every line, but it's probably not as bad as actually having to craft it all the way from, you know, your your stick figure, sketch out, flesh out, everything. Like you can probably get away with kind of sort of tracing it, but there's just something about having something that the artist's pencil actually touched. Like that's kind of special. You know, it's like like the idea of having something. Well, that's why signatures are so neat. It's like, yeah, okay, it's it's the, it's their name, but like to me, it's kind of like, no, they actually touched this book, they signed it, dated it, made a little thing. You know, that that's that personal quality too is really nice. So the vellum sketches are something I always like, and I would love to do, and plan to do when we start putting out our comics. That's always kind of special. Melissa, another suggestion. Oh, I like what you just said about making what you have feel special. Mm. And when I pick out my paper, I like having thick matte paper because people... This is for your prints? Yeah, these are for my prints. People like when they pick it up, like, oh, it has weight to it. But what I also do is I have clear sleeves so that when I'm when I sign the print and I put it in, it feels official and protected and people really like that That's true. and and a secret side note when i hung your print on my wall i put stickers on the sleeve instead of the actual print so that it doesn't trash the print because a lot of the time no matter what you say or what any packaging on some sticker says it's safe it's not going to rip or tear it's like if you leave it up there for a year it's going to become one so yeah, <laughs> you it, can't get away with that and so it's sort of nice to have that Keeps it safe. But I wanted to add in because I do a lot of conventions by myself. Mm. And if you don't know what I look like, I'm 5'4". I'm really small. And I have to lug all my stuff by myself. And, you know, when you're working at tables, you know, some people have table helpers. And if you can have one, get one because it's <laughs> so helpful for getting lunch. <laughs> and, uh, yeah it must be breaks. weird when you have to like leave your table and all of your precious things are there it, it well i have some stuff where i always keep it on me like sure. i never leave it alone but i would say it's important to get to the convention early before it starts because if you can make friends with your neighbors mm. then when you're like hey i need to take a break real quick would you mind watching my table for five minutes that's and awesome advice so yeah make friends with the people around you because everyone's so nice and they all want to help each other so don't be afraid Awesome. Joe, another thought? Another thought? Have something done. Was it the last con or the second to last con that we went to? We ended up talking to a couple that had a great idea. So oh, great yes. sketches done. That's right. But they did not have any finished product. Yeah, it was interesting because some people, and for a long time, Melissa did this, where she was there and she wasn't selling a comic book. She was selling prints and original art. And these guys were there selling prints and original art for their upcoming comic. And somehow it was it felt weird because mm -hmm. they were there. I mean, and this is just just from from us interviewing them and talking to them about it. It, it felt a little odd that because it's like you, were, you weren't getting a complete product or something like I don't know. It, was, it just felt funny because they were there 
telling you about their comic, all excited about yeah. it, and you're like, that sounds great. I want to read it. And they're like, well, too bad you can't. But here's yeah. a picture. It's kind of like, oh. <laughs> and so it was it's just like this... asking for a sandwich and getting a piece of bread. <laughs> it was it was it was kind of odd. Now I understand that it makes it's like seems seemingly makes a lot of really great sense when you're out at a convention trying yeah, to share trying to network, right, trying to yeah. meet people, but you really need something there, something tangible. There has to be a reason that you have an entire table in front of you. Sure. And a couple of prints of the project you're working on just doesn't seem like enough. Unless you're doing prints of your art, like Melissa has been doing, you know, have an ent- what, like two booklets now of prints you have? When I bring my small prints, I do. Yeah. Tons of stuff there. Or or even a preview. But it was it was mm-hmm. literally just like sketches and that's it. And a pitch. And it was just kind of like, it was it was just a whole bunch of blue balls. It was kind of like, oh, that sounds really cool, but I can't actually enjoy any of it aside from mm-hmm. a couple of sketches. Don't have anything online. Yeah, it was just strange. Yeah. So, I guess it goes back to asking yourself, are you ready to do conventions right. yes. to begin with? Do yeah. you have enough stuff put together that you know, you're what ready to say, hey, this is what I do and to start? You know. Well, I mean, if you're going from doing prints to doing comics and prints, you can say, here's some sketches or prints from my upcoming comic. It's like, cool. But if it's immediately just like, I only have a couple sketches from my upcoming comic or a couple prints from my upcoming comic and that's it. And I have like three prints or something. It's, it just doesn't feel right somehow. I, it sounds kind of weird. Like as I'm saying this, it like doesn't seem to really make sense to me that I felt that way, but that's how I felt. Mm-hmm. So that's how I feel. All right. Well, I've got one more letter that I'd like to read some samples from. And this is from our friend Chris Hill over at Rapture Burgers. Rapture Burgers is a hilarious comic about a young guy who goes through some trouble and then decides, I'm going to take over the world. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> and it's it's really, really entertaining. I like really highly recommend that you guys read it. RaptureBurgers.com. Very funny. All right. So here's here's sort of a blow by blow of their first couple days. This is really actually very interesting. Gave us like kind of a story. All right. For the first day. So there we sat, interacting with the occasional walk up, trying to explain what our comic was about. Mostly, we just joked back and forth, talked about the cosplayers and listened to people say Rapture Burgers as they walked past. We gave away some postcards, which had our site on them, but we weren't really hooking anyone. Then out of nowhere, someone walked right up, flipped through the volume and bought it. He said the name drew him in and he liked the art. Unfortunately, that was all the business we had the first day. This is their very first convention experience. That night, they talked about what they could do better. You know, they decided let's try and seem interested and approachable and maybe more proactive. Also, they needed to find their pitch. And this is great. A couple of people, after hearing our description, asked us if it was like Pinky and the Brain. My response was usually if Pinky was in charge. And that's how our pitch was born. We knew that we needed something to compare ourselves to that wouldn't make us look worse by comparison or like we were just trying to ride on the coattails of its success. The next day, we adopted a new method from our table neighbor, which involved greeting people and asking them if they'd like to look at our comic. Once they were pulled over, we'd go over the pitch, which was, it's kind of like Pinky in the Brain, if Pinky was in charge. We got lots of chuckles at that pitch alone, and lots more compliments on the art and color. We also did much better business-wise, selling a number of books to complete and total strangers, and one or two to friends. So with better luck that day, we started the final day knowing pretty well what we needed to do. We pushed a little harder by asking people as they walked by if they liked world domination. This also got some laughter and attention we wouldn't have otherwise had. Even though there were fewer people that day, we sold about the same amount. All around, we did pretty good, considering not a single person there seemed to have heard of us. And they didn't even actually have the artist with them that time, so they couldn't actually answer and interact artist questions 
because this is like a, a team one. It's sort of a fun little story, and what he does is he packs down that experience into a couple lessons he learned. Unless you have brand recognition, sitting back and waiting isn't going to get you much attention. That's awesome. Yes, most definitely. Yeah. I've been an attendee at conventions too, and I just walk right by until I see something I recognize and or want. People like free things, stickers, postcards, buttons, something. Marshmallows. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You see, you not only satisfy the free things, but you satisfy the food. Exactly. <laughs> it's been suggested by more than a few people that we get pins and sell them for a dollar. You need a simple pitch, no more than one sentence or two, because you're going to repeat it a lot. And that's good. That's another idea talking about sort of more reinforcing that's so important to have a clear picture that's brief of what you're up to. And I thought this was really an interesting piece out of the emails that I got. This one really stood out because of this. He says, on that note, people like things they're familiar with. Find a comparison and stick with it. And I think that's pretty cool. The idea of trying to find something that you may be similar to, but at the same time trying to do the dance of not having that overshadow what you're up to. I think that's pretty cool because... For me, when I'm, you know, dreaming up and planning and sitting down with the admin and Joe talking about how we're going to try and pitch our stuff and set up our table in the coming year, we're thinking to ourselves, like, we probably shouldn't compare ourselves to anything because that way we start to seem like we're kind of biting on somebody else's work or anything like mm -hmm. that. But it seems like they've sort of found like an interesting, like, like they've struck an interesting chord with that. That's somehow something that people have sort of warm, fuzzy feelings about, sort of almost nostalgia about, but isn't really even in the same medium, technically, so that it doesn't really overshadow what they're up to. Like, that's kind of cool. Like, I really I really thought that was a neat suggestion. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, right? I've read somewhere an interview with someone talking about conventions, and they said that during your pitch, uh, one of the pieces of advice was to not ever start off with a genre because that automatically pigeonholes you, mm. and then people, they stop paying attention. So mm -hmm. I start off with something specific about what your book is right so like i used to actually start off with it's an action comedy that blah 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 it's actually comedy about blah, blah, yeah blah, blah. Mm -hmm. and now i go directly into it's a uh bounty hunting marshmallow who blah 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 i suppose because right, you're right that's it, all of a sudden it, mm -hmm. i feel better about that right when you're saying it's just there actually that the comment that chris made about the comparison with something else reminded me of what Madeline was saying when she was first throwing her pitch out for the Boston Metaphysical Society. She's like, it's like steampunk Victorian Ghostbusters. It's like, that sounds great. I love the Ghostbusters. That sounds like a good fun time. And it's not like, it's like, you know, steampunk Victorian era Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is kind of like, well, but you're a comic too. You know, like all of a sudden you feel weird about it. But if you go straight into like, like the Ghostbusters, it's kind of like, Oh, I could, I like Ghostbusters. That sounds cool. It's like, it's an interesting idea, I think. So maybe what to take from that is if you are going to compare it to something, try to stay away from the comic book genre. Like, try to, like, Pinky and the Brain cartoon, you know? Mm -hmm. Let's see. A couple of the thoughts I wanted to sample from his email were, as much as you want to have your friends come and see you, like, don't let them bogart your table. Like, oh, don't let them crowd yeah. around your table because it'll happen. You know, and it's one thing if there's actual attendees that are checking out your table and they're hanging around, that's fine. But he was saying that they had to kind of shove their friends out of the way so people that were walking by could see what their table had. I can imagine that's probably a real challenge, especially like Melissa was saying about starting <laughs> out when you're, you know, doing local stuff because your friends are going to want to come by and support you. And the Tom, next thing you know, I'm everybody's hanging out. Right. It goes back to why are you at the convention? And oftentimes <laughs> if you explain it to your friends beforehand, they totally understand. And mm. um I sit next to Sarah Straub. She's another artist. And we have the system down now where sometimes, you know, we'll have a dry spell and there won't be anyone in front of our table. So we'll start a conversation. And we have this 
understanding that when someone's in front of our table, it's like we could be talking mid-sentence and then we'd stop and be like, hi there, how are you? And, I've seen you do that. <laughs> and then as soon as they go back, we can pick up our conversation exactly, like without missing a beat. Oh, and that's cool. That's cool. So the conversation stops when sales are available. <laughs> Let your friends know, you know. I would even say be careful with uh, the fans that stop by. My first convention ever was oh, right. People was a sat con. Mm-hmm. And this guy stopped by. Uh, it's, you know, one of the lessons that I had to learn. A really, really nice guy. We ended up having a conversation about, you know, the who would win between Superman and Hulk. And that conversation went on for about 45 minutes. And it was killing me when people were walking by my table, looking at my stuff, you know, going through the pages. I'd be like, oh, but he's busy. I know. And I'm thinking, like, that's a sale right there that just walked away from me. And then that's a sale that just walked away from me. Oh. And I just knew that they were leaving me because the guy the who didn't even buy a comic wanted oh, to have this conversation about cool. Superman versus Hulk. Had nothing to do with what I was doing whatsoever. So just, you know, and you don't have to be rude about it. Just be wary that you're there for everybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the final things that Chris said in his email that I thought was interesting, and I'd actually read elsewhere on, like you said, like Google Guides about, you know, how to be successful um, at your exhibitor tables, was don't have a copious amount of the same thing on your table. You know, if you just ordered 300 copies of your comic, don't have like a stack of 50 on the table. Have like a couple. Somehow, with the the way that people's minds work, sociology, marketing, in some capacity, when there's, when there's an abundance much, of something, yeah, somehow they don't feel... It's not feel, worth it. Right. Like somehow it doesn't draw them into getting it. And that having a smaller amount of things on your table, even if you've got a box just full behind you, that you sort of replenish those like five items on your table or something like that. Somehow that you know, is a tried and true way to get more product moved through. Scarcity is definitely a good sales technique. I mean, I've had, I always just keep like five on my rack of any particular issue. And when I get down to the last three or four in my rack, I announce it. I tell them, oh yeah, these are the last three that I have. And then those ones go a lot faster than the Mm -hmm. rest of them do. Yeah, because they're like, because I don't know about you guys, but when I'm an attendee at a convention, I will make multiple passes and so if something is like, oh, they've got a gajillion of them and they've got a bunch of people over there, I'll come back. And sometimes I don't come back because I get busy or hungry or whatever. But if it's like, oh, they've only got one left. I really want it. I better go get it right now. Stop all things. So. All right. So anyways, thank you so much, Chris, for emailing us in. You can read Chris's comic at raptureburgers.com. Follow on Twitter at raptureburgers. And then like his Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash raptureburgers. It's one of those few people that really managed to have super epic brand recognition across everything. Didn't have to add anything. Didn't have to add comics on it. It's like just slick. Like I'm envious completely. It's awesome. So final thoughts, anybody? I would say to try to not have your table completely cluttered. Mm. Um, mm. And not in so much in that I don't want you to have product on your table. Just make sure that you know what you want them to focus on. Sure. Um, and, you know, have samples for them to look at what you're trying to sell the most. I always have issue one out. That's my biggest seller because it's a relatively new comic that people are always trying to start with the, the first issue. And I find that other people that I've seen at conventions who have um, several different types of merchandise, you know, be it buttons, T-shirts, postcards, bookmarks they'll sell that stuff but sometimes it can i I feel like it can kind of distract the buyer if there's too much stuff going on sure yeah and it's kind of more than anything especially if you're doing a comic book you want people to buy your comic book yeah you want them to become fans and enjoy your story not get a bunch of cutesy paraphernalia and merch even though that's fun you you want them to come back the next time they see you and go oh yeah i really love that comic i want a button of that one character that i love so Mm -hmm. much like that's probably more the the interaction you're hoping yeah merch comes second 
Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, don't, don't tell the admin that (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to down talk merch because I mean, merch can be great. Like I actually, my brother is my, always my, my comic con helper. He comes out to all the cons. He wears the mailman t-shirt and he puts on the buttons and walks around and then people ask him questions about it. Like, what is that? He directs them to my table. Nice. So that's a good idea. So you have like a, a like somebody walking around billboard, walking around the cons. That's Um, awesome. So not to down talk merch, just make sure that you have your table organized the way that you uh, want to reflect sales sure any other final thoughts you guys have fun have fun that's a good don't forget to have that's fun. sort of huge oh yeah <laughs> go see the other tables oh yeah. yeah i mean i think one of the greatest experiences of all conventions is meeting other artists and being able to talk with them mm-hmm. yeah. well i think my final thought and this is coming from not from experience behind the table but experience from being like press don't be an asshole to press it's just <laughs> it doesn't do you any good you know, be nice to John. <laughs> well, no, I guess what I'm saying is I, um, I've, I've only ran across it a couple times, but I've had people that like get on the attack and they're like, well, how many listeners do you have? Well, how busy are you? Is it worth my time to talk to you for five minutes? It's like, yes, yes, it's worth your time. Even if five people listen to our podcast, that's five people that you didn't have access to uh, before. Pull your head out of your ass. We're not charging you for that. Right. Yeah. And it's just kind of like, you know, and I'm, I'm in professional mode. And so I'm not going to say those kind of things, but that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking like, Fuck you, buddy, like that's not cool. <laughs> and there's just no reason, you know, it doesn't matter. You're there going out of your way to make a connection with people there. If someone's coming there and they're press, no matter what their audience size is, it's a whole lot bigger than one person. And you're going out of your way to talk to each person anyway. Why have this like weird standoffish quality? And again, that's very rare because when I said that, Melissa's eyes bugged out. <laughs> it doesn't make any right. It doesn't make any damn sense. Yeah, but some people get really weird. Like I've, I've had maybe two people out of all the conventions we've done do that. And it's just so not cool. So be thankful for anyone who wants to take the time to yeah. invest in talking about your work because you don't know who they are and, mm-hmm. you know, who they could be down the road. Always be nice to people that you meet. Definitely. I mean, going back, yeah, going back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, knowing your your goals as a comic creator, whether you want it to be a career or just a hobby. If your goal is to have this be a career and you're just starting off, press is your friend. Mm-hmm. You need to get as much of that as possible so that you have a wider audience. And, well, uh, you know, also, if you're doing... Anything you do, you can spin into an opportunity to maybe sell your comic, but there's always the other side of I'm meeting people and sharing it, spreading the word and networking. Even if you sell a couple comics, you might have somebody walk by and have a nice conversation with them this time. And the next time they come back and they go, oh, the marshmallow guy. Hey, you know, I really want to check out your comic this time. You know, it's like there, it doesn't cost anything to be friendly and engaging. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's like it's another added benefit. Like I would say, again... One of the other people that I was emailing back and forth with who was bemoaning the struggle of not selling much at Ape, I said, like, hey, don't underestimate how much of an uh, impact it makes long term, the networking opportunity, being out there, being seen. And even if someone didn't come up and talk to you this time, they might have seen you and then maybe they'll come back next time. Like, don't feel like, you know, at the end of the day and you balance your books and you're like, I'm in the red or I'm only a little in the black. It's like that should not be, you know, whether or not this was a worthwhile experience. Not only, like Melissa was saying, have fun, but... You cannot even begin to quantify how incredibly powerful networking can be. Because even if you meet one person that out of all the group that happens to be able to create a connection that maybe gets you in the door for something else, you never know. And so it's it's like don't – I mean just like all things in life. I have a friend who was like sitting at home after – work one night and a friend of his invited him out and he kind of did that like ah, maybe i won't eh, i'll go and he met his wife there <laughs> and they're married and they have three kids and they're happy as could be and and he's and like that was one of the things we were talking about one time 
he's like, never, never choose not doing something. Always do something, you know, because you never know what could happen. That one tiny opportunity. It's crazy. So, all right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and wrap up. Thank you for listening to Geek Life. We always love to hear from our listeners. Please email us at geeklife at panamanga.com with your questions, comments, and insights. Anyone interested in being a PM contributor, go to our contact page at contact.pandamanga.com and fill out the form located there. Music has been provided by AirPlus Recordings. As always, links to the artist and songs featured on this episode are available in the show notes at podcast.pandamanga.com. If you'd like more information about AirPlus Recordings, visit airplusrecordings.com. This is Marcus. We'll see you next time. You can always go a step further. Ladies. (laughs) (laughs) That was inappropriate and I apologize. (laughs)